Hi, my name's Anniki Somerville and this is the podcast How to Be a Boss at Aging. And I just wanted to give a quick plug for my book, if you haven't bought it already. It's currently on sale at Amazon and many other great retailers and it's called How to Be a Boss at Aging surprise surprise um but if you do like the podcast and you listen to it regularly or even if you've just tuned in today and you've enjoyed it or are about to enjoy it then please do uh give my book a whirl so what am i going to be talking about today well today i'm interviewing rebecca schiller she's an author and she's just written a book called earthed which is coming out on may the 6th and it's a fab book it's all about i suppose kind of that notion of the rural life being something that we want to escape to it's also also a book about mental health and um, I guess being diagnosed with a certain mental health condition which we'll talk about and I suppose it's also a little bit about writing and how the heck do you do writing alongside everything else so if any of those things interest you escaping to the countryside women and mental health and writing then it's definitely the uh, episode for you so I'll catch up again at the end all right ta well, I'm excited today because I've got Rebecca Schiller on the podcast and um, I think I feel, Rebecca, like our paths have sort of crossed, but we've never, I don't think we've actually ever met in the flesh. Um, no, I feel like we must have done, but I, I, I don't think we have. <laughs> no, and I mean, I, I think I first became aware of you because obviously you're an author and I think possibly through Selfish Mother, because I used to work with um, Molly Gunn, and then started following you on Instagram. And I think a big part of what I was fascinated by was the fact that you'd, so many people talk about making this move from one, you know, an urban place into the countryside. And you were one of the few people who actually did it and got a small holding and not just sort of playing around with living in the countryside. But my impression was like proper proper rural life. So I wanted to talk a bit about that, but also I wanted to talk about your new book, Earthed, which has only just recently been released. Is that right? It's not even out yet. It's out on the 6th of May. So right. um, there's we're at that stage of people are starting to read it. It's going out into the world, but it's um, it's it's not actually available yet, but you can pre-order it. Uh. You can pre-order it. And what, just tell us a little bit, because I've start. I must, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm halfway through at the moment, and that's probably sounds slightly offensive, but if I said to you that the, the amount of times that I actually managed to get through an entire book, I could probably count on the fingers of one hand in, a, in an entire year. So I have found it so compelling so far that I'm continuing going with it. I haven't read all of it. But can you give us a little bit of an insight into why did you write the book? And I guess what, yeah, what was it that sort of inspired you to, to do it? Well, it it sort of came about initially as a bit of a joke. I was chatting to a friend about, so my, a lot of my work has been around like reproductive health and childbirth and pregnancy. And also I'm here running a small holding, doing lots of gardening and growing. And we joke that I should write a, a feminist gardening a text called Lady Garden. <laughs> which I immediately texted my agent about and she was like get that down on paper now and it sort of meandered along for a while trying to work out what it was um, and by the time it went out on submission the idea was that I'd write a sort of 12 month like month by month kind of almost like a diary of living on the small holding and how I had used it to help me through some depression and anxiety and thinking about the kind of stresses and pressures that women and mothers face and that kind of back to the land connection. It's turned into something quite 
different, partly because I, when I started writing it, I thought it was going to be how I had been feeling loads better. But actually, it turned out I, I was feeling loads worse. And I um, ended up really, as it was going out, um, you know, having a having a, a breakdown that I've been having for a while getting a really significant diagnosis and immediately walking out of this psychiatrist's office into the pandemic and having to write this book. And so I think... Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's funny, <laughs> so the, book, about that. the book opens with you doing this strange sort of exercise where you have to sort of try and match shapes. Is that right? Yes. Um, and I was really intrigued by it because obviously you don't reveal sort of quite why you're why you're doing this, but you're suddenly sucked into this idea that there is something more going on than meets the eye. So I love the way that it opened because it immediately drew me in. And I must admit, when I saw the cover, I sort of thought, oh, you know, will it be? And in fact, when I first emailed you, my expectation was that it would be maybe something quite celebratory about living in the countryside because we're hearing so much about that in the pandemic of how people are fleeing London and we're all more in touch with nature but what you've written about is actually more complicated than that isn't it yeah and I think I I mean I've always had a a set of natural tendency to resist things being really simple like if I can make things difficult (laughs) I <laughs> um, and um, I have a friend who said that to me she's like why do you always choose the like the hardest thing when you've got a range of options but I think I feel like we're sort of sold simplicity and I like the idea that if we just do the right thing by the right thing we'll be happy and there's like a right way to do it and I think it particularly relevant to, to women and so a lot of it is exploring that tension that moving moving to the countryside in lots of ways has been incredibly helpful and beneficial and uh, has taught me loads of things, enabled me to do loads of things and has really helped. But it also has been awful and destructive and difficult. And the idea that you can be both things at the same time, like regretting something and it was the right thing to do, like enjoying something, but finding it incredibly hard. And I, I always think that that's how particularly women's stories get narrowed down, you know, you see it around the, the work that I used to do around childbirth. You were one kind of mother, one kind of but you know, and it's 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 rubbish. So it is about that complexity, like the beautiful idyll, the goats, the ducklings, but actually quite a lot of darkness and, and difficulty and trying to hold all of that in one in one mm. place and find a way to be okay with it. And where I mean if it, I suppose it's difficult to say. I mean you have this diagnosis and it is you don't mind me saying what it is, no, do you? No, I so don't, you I don't. so you're diagnosed with it's ADHD, that's right, yes. isn't it? Yes. Um which is, you know, it's it's funny because I bought my own preconceptions about what that meant and actually was something that I'd only really associated with being diagnosed in children at school. So, you know, I've had conversations with other mums where they've finally said, oh, you know, that we finally got this diagnosis and it's explaining why a lot of these behaviours are happening. But I hadn't really heard of many people having, you know, realising that they have it in adulthood. What was it that made you... Did you have any suspicions that that might be what you what you had? Or had you Googled? Because that's the thing that I always do, is I tend to sort of Google any sort of symptom that I'm suffering at a particular time and then come up with my own diagnosis. I mean, it, it's not something that has ever occurred to me or anybody else. And I think a lot of people who know me, like professionally and personally, I mean, 
actually haven't told a lot of people because we've all been hiding in our houses, haven't we? Um, would be quite shocked. And I didn't know very much about it. And the journalist Robin Wilder has written quite a lot about her diagnosis as an adult. And I I ended up sort of working out for myself after um I I've been my GP had been trying to get me referred to a to psychiatric services they kept rejecting me I was saying I think I might be bipolar I really there's something going on and had a really great really supportive GP who was keen for me to try and work out what was going on and I just was random Instagram scrolling and there was an article I was distracting myself I clicked and I started reading it and it was about high functioning women who are diagnosed as adults with ADHD and I read this this paragraph about the fact that living with undiagnosed ADHD is like living on a fairground ride and everything just spins faster and faster and faster and faster and you want to get off, but also you're kind of propelling the ride yourself. I, I carried on reading and there was so much about, you know, people with incredible energy and drive. And if it was sent in the right direction, it could be brilliant. But when you turned it against yourself, it was really destructive. And I started Googling and and realised that um, women and girls get diagnosed so much less. And they used to think it was basically a boy's condition. When I went for my diagnostic test, the assistant said, you know, I was um, on the 99th centile for hyperactivity, which I was really well behaved at school. No one, like, I'm, I'm, you would not think I was hyperactive. And she said, you watch the women doing this test, they make tiny little socially acceptable movements, you know, hair twirling, maybe moving your skirt a little bit. There's a, a gender, uh, gender, gender at work in here, gender roles, social constructs, but also that, that women and girls present quite differently. They're more likely to be inattentive daydreamers, whereas boys are more likely to be disruptive. And if you're being disruptive and causing other people problems, you're much more likely to get into the system whereas if you're just wondering why everything takes a lot of effort <laughs> and and the kind of person like me who does tend to try then very hard you can mask it for a very 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 long time which is essentially what I did without realizing it and what are some of the symptoms I mean you, you described that sort of sense of you know almost being out of control like sort of feeling like you're on a roller coaster is it similar in that you have highs and lows or I mean how in a in a mood way because that's the other thing when I talk to so many women we're not particularly good at kind of naming our moods and our feelings so we kind of just accept that maybe the way that we're feeling is completely normal if you're somebody who's presenting with it what kind of symptoms were you were you going through I mean it's it's quite common I should say for for women who are undiagnosed to end up as a sort of secondary condition becoming depressed and anxious so you know some of my some of the things I was going through were definitely to do with depression and anxiety but but the the way that one of the myths about um, ADHD is that basically you can't pay attention to anything you can't concentrate or anything on anything and it's actually a problem of regulating attention so you can be incredibly hyper focused on something if you are interested and motivated in a way but your brain is completely unable to focus on something that you are not interested in it's not just I'm too bored I'm too lazy can't do it and I remember at school in maths I would just hear a kind of <laughs> white noise. I just couldn't, um, and I'd, I'd sort of do this, and it's something I've, I've realised I've always done. I'd be like, "Come on, come on, come on!" And so there's there's that, that uh, a sort of 
And for me, I can, if I'm interested in something, I can go off and I can do it for 18 hours and forget to eat and drink and go to the toilet and become completely feral. And, and I can also be very, very scattered. It's also hard to work out what's important. So if you've got a busy life like me, the idea that you can work out, you know what, this thing can wait, this thing can't wait. That's a that's part of our executive functioning, which is is impaired for people with ADHD. So you can end up with a feeling that there are 5,000 things to do and you cannot work out whether the washing or the article is the most important, important thing. thing. And the mood, the mood stuff for me was very extreme and I think it, it sort of got worse and worse. But ADHD people tend to have low dopamine and also something called rejection sensitivity dysphoria where you can be deeply, 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 deeply upset in a really profound existential, like suicidal ideation kind of way by perceived rejection. And so I'd sort of go off like a rocket with all of this energy and go and do something and then suddenly remember that I was really upset and plunge into this low and get very stuck in it because that's the thing about the regulation of the attention, get really, really stuck in that place until the next thing comes on and it becomes a really sort of up and down cycle and, and sort of having quite angry and sort of destructive meltdowns of which I'm not very proud, but it it had got to a stage where I was just, it felt like a sort of survival. Couldn't understand why I felt so awful about like making a cup of tea. Um, and, and it seemed uh, ludicrous that I could then go and like record an interview on TV the next day. That was fine. But the making the cup of tea in the kitchen was not was not OK. I couldn't remember all the steps. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you said that because um, I think sometimes parking the ADHD, but even just thinking about women and kind of outbursts of, of anger, how, you know, they can come up, certainly with me, they come up at very inappropriate times. So it's actually not the, it's not the, the friend that hasn't texted me back. It's the fact that, you know, my daughter will not refuses to wear the summer dress that's her school uniform because she suddenly says it makes her look frumpy. And that can send you off into the stratosphere. And I think women are often kind of, we don't understand our anger anyway. You know, even, even when we put that to one side, we're kind of like, why have I suddenly become completely irrationally angry and then feeling quite ashamed because there's a lot of shame around sort of acting out and um and not really thinking well there's a reason why I feel angry you know you're kind of like oh I just shouldn't be like this this is really bad absolutely I think that mismatch between who you're supposed to be as as an adult as a woman as a mother you know at uh, that there's a real there's that real what I was talking about getting the idea of bothness that actually you can you can be like a good person and you know, a great and still friend, be angry. a nice mum, and still be really like deeply furious about stuff in your own life and thousands of years of living in a you know, patriarchal system that's been squashing you. So <laughs> that's possible. Yeah. And I mean, do you feel you know you had your diagnosis, but was the times when you were going through the really difficult times was was your you know where you were living? you know, your focus on kind of keeping that going, was that a source of comfort or did it also present anxiety too? Because it was actually, because when you're in a in a state where everything is coloured by your condition, it in a way it doesn't really matter where you are, does it? Because people can sort of go, I'm, people often say, oh, you know, you can go and move to so-and-so. And then I'm like, but I'm still the same person in that location. So unless I've sorted myself out, the fact that I've got a bigger garden isn't going to make much difference. No, you just have to do more mowing. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, it. I think that moving here was the sort of, it was a bit the straw that immediately broke the camel's back. I think I'm the camel in that 
terrible um, <laughs> metaphor because I think the idea, the impulse, you were saying not many people actually do this. I think the, the reason I, I do do this is because of, partly because of the ADHD. I'm quite impulsive. I'm also quite, I'm not risk averse. And there was a lot of good ideas in there as well. But I hadn't taken into account that it would be a massive amount of extra work. Like when, when we, last year, when we really in lockdown really all worked together a lot on the on the plot I was doing 35 hours a week and I was still behind just on the small holding so adding that in to everything else it really sent me kind of a bit manic I was you know getting up super early I felt like I needed to make my own raised beds it was look it looked really looked really great from the outside but I was absolutely drowning and and couldn't switch off from it but when I when I sort of completely melted down in the summer of 2019, I was waiting for help. It was this place that was the thing that got me through it because I just learnt a way to sort of go outside and live in 10 minute segments and just like focus on the like repetitive movements of gardening, which fills up a bit of your brain and lets the other part kind of relax like noticing stuff, noticing, like spending a lot of time noticing the the changes in the plot, letting myself work physically, work off that energy was really, really important. So it it, it has been both and it, it still is both. It's a great comfort to me and it's a great source of anxiety and feeling, you know, feeling behind because there is a massive amount to do. And I guess it probably will always be like that. <laughs> it's so interesting because I've never, I've always sort of lived in fairly urban environments and I've always associated sort of stress and overwhelm with kind of offices or, you know, deadlines or very much work or city life, you know, commuting, all of those. I've sort of, And actually I had this, this perception that once you went into a, a rural environment, those were all taken away, you know, because you were kind of, you were subject, but I'd never actually logically thought that you've still got to do a massive amount of work. It's just a different kind of work. And I suppose it's the kind of work that we're now being told is better for us because it's kind of like you're outdoors, you're getting vitamin D, um, you're not hunched over a laptop. But the thing is with you is that you're also a writer. So you are spending time hunched over a laptop too. And you're having to contend with that that additional layer of it's a, it's a significant amount of work isn't it I mean when we moved here I was doing freelance journalism I was CEO of a small charity I was writing a book and we were doing this and you're um, a parent as well uh, yeah yeah and um and the house you know the house needs work not in a cosmetic sense it doesn't have any central heating you know there was there was stuff stuff to urgently do and I think one of the I think if I was if I was able to be here this this was my job I would definitely still find a way to make it stressful and have deadlines and do too much I generate that myself but if that was my job that that would be one thing but we don't really live in a world makes it super easy for that to be your job so all for all for that kind of lifestyle to be easy to have so I felt like I'd sort of made this choice. We'd made this choice, this decision that we wanted to live like this, but we were also still trying to do everything else. And the two feel quite incompatible, but obviously we have to work really hard to be able to afford this. But because we work really hard, we don't have the time to do this properly. And it becomes a sort of, and I, I do end up writing about that a bit in the book that I discovered there's a number of organisations kind of pushing for funding for very small time 
smallholders, particularly if they're doing environmental stuff, just for sort of startup equipment, and that this might be one of the ways that we help with climate change and with uh, sort of hyper-local food supplies. But if you're not enabling people to do that, and you're not, you're only investing in large scale farming practices then it then it becomes a then it becomes a problem and I I was so delighted to discover that that there's there's a sort of push to recognize that this stuff might have wider benefits but that you can't expect people to do it by themselves and if you do then you're only having people like me who are privileged enough to be able to just about afford to do it uh, and uh, then possibly you know break themselves in the process because the other thing that I was aware that you were doing I wanted to come on one of them was that you obviously organized these um writers retreats as well which sound amazing and I know there's been quite a lot of people that I'm friends with and follow who who have done them when you do the retreats obviously I'm hoping that you'll start them up again once all of this horrible crap's finished do you do you use that as a retreat as well? Or is that another bit of what, I mean, do you actually get to write on those or are you, yeah? I do write. That's one of the nice things about it. I think it works well because I am writing as well. It, it's it's a sort of, um, we're all in it together. It's not a rest for me because I'm very focused on making sure that everybody who's coming along is having a good time. And I had a message from someone who'd read the book, actually, who'd been on the retreat and was saying it really makes sense of the way you're able to focus so much and anticipate everybody's needs because you've got that, you know, that's part of, you know, part, that's part of the sort of ADHD part of my brain, anticipating things, noticing things, spotting patterns, and also being able to completely focus on that for four days. But it means it's quite, it's quite tiring tiring for me it's quite draining because you're yeah yeah. love it though absolutely love it and we're actually we've spent we're a bit late in launching it my husband and I've spent the last six months trying to turn what people love about those retreats into something that can be accessed remotely and so we are going to carry on doing the retreats but I think we've come up with something pretty special uh, that we're going to be doing that is about writers supporting each other um writers who happen to be mothers supporting each other and getting the the benefits of the expertise of others but also the one of the benefits of the retreats for me was actually reading other people's work <laughs> and, and and that's some of the things that we found that reading other people's work hearing about other people's techniques or problems what they've been reading was hugely beneficial for us so trying to create that kind of mutual support system um so hopefully when I can get a little bit of time we'll 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 get that up and running um, oh I mean I'll have to get the details it's funny because one of the things that um the way that I came to writing was that um I'd been writing on my own for quite a long time but then I joined um a class at St Martin's it was a creative writing class and it was a Saturday morning and then the teacher from that Joanna Pocock she took a group of us and invited us to come to her house once that had wrapped up and every Saturday we'd go to Bethnal Green this was before kids I mean it's just so idyllic when I think about it and we would sit in a group of maybe six of us um, men and women and we would workshop one another's pieces and that's one of the things I've really missed about because I you know I write a lot but not having anyone to 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 show it to and so the only person people that see it is when I'm actually at the point where I'm trying to pitch it to somebody and it's kind of like um I'd love 
because I mean those sessions were sometimes it's funny because sometimes you sort of discounted what people said you go like, oh what do you know you know if you didn't like their writing you'd be like oh I'm not gonna whatever sack that off but this person I love their writing and actually what they're saying is really valid and I'm enjoying getting that input so I think there is a real gap in the market because I think there's kind of there's a lot of women who are kind of writing on their own and almost like need and really long for that kind of collaborative thing that you, you get in writing groups don't you you do and 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 writing groups are reasonably they're a bit more difficult to access if um you're trying to fit this in often like with parenting and working part-time or full-time and I think there's also the idea that you know people who've come on the retreats have said it's amazing to be with others who understand like why I have to do this I do have to do this. It's not very convenient in some ways, but this is what I have to... And just what's taken as read, this is something we all have to do and want to do and know that part of it is great and part of it is really hard in the context of, of the things we share in our lives. It's really, really, really useful. And I think the the other thing has been like sort of sharing contacts with each other, people being at different stages. You know, some people are writing their third book. Some people haven't got an agent are writing the first proposal. And a lot of that, how do you get an agent? How do you write a proposal? There's still a lot of old boys network in that. And I think one of the ideas we've got um, is to, you know, have a lot, of access to you know two editors and two agents giving kind of advice this is how this is how you write a proposal you know we're going to have a proposal clinic because I think it's just I've started sending people my proposals I've done for things just because it's it's, it's a mystery to quite a lot of how on earth do you do that and I, and I think that that's a there's a huge um barrier there that is completely unnecessary and so because I always have to make everything a bit political I think there's you know there's something about trying to level the playing field a little bit and lift each other up and 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 share stuff which I I I would yeah I'd like to be part of definitely Mm. oh that's brilliant well I wanted to say thank you so much for for coming on what are you working on next you've obviously got your writers sort of retreat online stuff and you're going to be doing your I mean this book's going to be coming out as well I imagine you'll be doing lots of interviews and stuff for that and then what are your plans next are you sort of writing another book or I've got a children's non-fiction book coming out next year it's pretty much done uh though that just remind me I have to do something immediately after our call on it <laughs> um and that should have been out this year but it was sort of delayed because of the pandemic and I am hoping to start working on an idea for a novel that I've had for quite a while and yeah quite a big focus on the on getting mothers who write the online version up and running I should probably try and have some sort of a rest at some point as well um because it's, but it's funny quite... you said that because <laughs> I feel like um when you're a writer certainly for me my, because I enjoy it so much and because I don't have enough time to do it you know because like you said you, you're working and you've got children for me you know people sort of say oh why don't you just do nothing and actually I've got this weird period at the moment where I'm not working because I'm starting a new job fairly soon and I'm kind of like I just want to write because I want to and I, I mean I might write a load of rubbish but that's the that's the thing that I have that I find it's not always relaxing, is it? But sometimes when you're just kind of pootling around with ideas, that is relaxing. Absolutely. And I think there's a sort of prescribed idea of what we're supposed to do to relax. And one of the best things that I've learned since getting my diagnosis is that I can't relax really by doing nothing. It doesn't relax me, stresses me out. So finding ways that I can relax has been really... And, and not feeling guilty because... 
I'm not very like I'm not very good at relaxing I just I have a different way of relaxing and I definitely I've, I've started writing quite a lot of poetry which I know is the worst thing anyone can ever say the most embarrassing thing but um, I'm trying to own it and that's been my I don't have time at the moment to get into a, a big a big writing project but actually writing writing poems I wrote I wrote one about being really really angry and I shared it and it was just this I had this amazing response from so many so many women on Instagram saying I feel this angry all the time too and that I'm really enjoying you know little short ways of getting getting things across um so yeah right right to relax I think it's a good idea (laughs) I think there's definitely I mean I write about it in my book about sort of um aging and feeling anger because there's a lot of hormonal reasons why you might feel that but um I actually I've always kind of really respected women who have shown their anger. And I suddenly noticed that all the all the sort of singers that I liked, like Courtney Love or, you know, they were kind of, I used to love this band called The Distillers and it was Brodie Dahl was the singer in there. And they were, they were all angry when they were singing and their lyrics were really angry. And I'd, I'd sort of kind of fought all that instinct myself. So I was never, you know, I was quite placid and easygoing and always telling jokes at work. But then coming home from work, I'd put these headphones on and turn it up full throttle and just listen to women screaming basically and I I sort of suddenly realized that there was a direct link that because I didn't feel that I could express it myself I had to sort of get it out of my system by listening to it through music um, which is is so interesting isn't it yeah yeah I think women do have to find a lot of women do have to find a way to tap into that anger because I think there's a survival thing in there as well you know there there is a lot of fitting in but actually being angry is an, is energetic and it's motivating and and so finding a way you know obviously ideally appropriately to be to be angry um is I think it's important I'm still working on it I think I'm gonna get a punch bag that's my latest plan yeah I think that's a good one mine is actually throwing throwing away um, things that are in the house that don't belong to me. So whichever person I'm angry with, but of course my family are really pissed off with me because they're kind of like, where have my socks gone? Where is this gone? And I was like, listen, I could have actually come up and totally gone crazy, but I just put them in the bin. So they'd now go, they go and fish things out of the bin and they'll say, oh, look, mum, you've you've put my things in the bin again. But that's the only way that it kind of manifests itself. <laughs> but I'm very supportive of that (laughs) and hopefully they'll learn eventually not to leave everything everywhere I think that is it's the kind of time I've now got very kind of like strict on if it's messy and it's on the floor and I keep stepping on it and you don't pick it up it goes in the bin and then so it's sad though because now my kids the first place that they look for their toys is usually opening the flip bin to see if I've chucked it in there which is (laughs) a bit sad but anyway thanks a lot Rebecca that was that was amazing I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you and I hope everyone gets your lovely book as well Earthed which is out May the 6th isn't it you said that's right thank you so much I've really enjoyed talking and uh, yeah thanks for all the support with the book too Thanks for listening and I hope you're feeling a little bit more optimistic about things as well seeing as today I'm looking out the window and the weather has got a bit better there's some blossom there's a little bit of fox poo but I'm going to ignore that Uh, and I think just generally hopefully coming out of lockdown slowly easing up 
maybe seeing friends outside, things have started to feel a little bit more positive. But also don't beat yourself up if you're feeling a bit crap, because I'm talking to quite a lot of people who are saying, do you know what? I thought I was supposed to feel great, but I'm not sure that I do. And I think that's all normal too, because we've been in a pandemic and that's not a normal situation. So anyway, whatever you need to do, cut yourself some slack and uh, I'll see you again soon. So thanks for listening. Ta-ra!